When Jesus came on the scene, he came into a graceless world. Imagine that. Uh, we've lived in a graceless world for a couple thousand years. Jesus came to a, a, an area known as Palestine, and he was a Jew, um, and it was occupied by the Romans, and so there was this uh, a very tense situation in the world as, as Jesus comes on the scene. The Jews looking for um, a liberator, someone to um, allow them to rise up militarily and overthrow the Roman army. Uh, it was kind of a pipe dream in many ways uh, because the, the Roman army was probably the most powerful force on the face of the earth at the time. And the Jews maybe could have a bit of rebellion. They could be an irritation to the Roman army. They could probably irritate them long enough over many, many years to have them decide that it's not worth this irritation and leave. But it would take a, a real effort. And so this very tense world Jesus comes into. And, and he delivers uh, what, what some might seem um, an irrational type of message. Uh, you, you saw it flashed up on the screen really fast, and unless you can read faster than me, you, you didn't see all that. But um, he comes on, and he, and he starts giving this, this very counterintuitive message. So the Jews looking for a military leader. Uh, Jesus comes on and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who understand their spiritual need, Jesus is saying. Those who understand their spiritual need will be the people that will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are people who aren't afraid of sadness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the, those who are willing to, to learn, who are soft-hearted, who are shapeable. They're the ones, Jesus says, will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not being right, but for what is right. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor, uh, pure in heart. For they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of what is right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, not, not the kind of message that people were looking for in terms of liberation. Uh, it, it, it seems totally opposite. It's, it's really counterintuitive to the day. And and it comes into a, a moment where not only does it seem crazy for those who are politically minded, who, who want political change, but it also seems counterintuitive to the religious leaders of the day. You know, there were these people called Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. I, was, I heard a funny story this week of a guy who uh, was was beginning to read the Bible for the first time, and he thought Pharisees were female pharaohs. Now, that tells me that many of you know what a pharaoh is, right? 
you know, Egyptian leader way back, you know, and he thought the Pharisees were just the female version of, of the, the Pharaohs. But uh, they actually were just simply religious leaders of the day who, who liked to cross every T and dot every I. Um, and Jesus ran afoul of them because they were using this uh, legal system that God had given to uh, Abraham and his family to oppress people. And they didn't really understand that the law was not given to oppress people, but it was given to expose people. It, it was meant not to be used for other people, but it was meant to be used for yourself. You know, oftentimes we do that as humans. We'll sit here in this room, for instance, and you'll hear something that the person next to you needs to listen to. Right? You, you know that feeling? I see the elbows move sometimes. And, and you're thinking, hey, if I, I hope so-and-so is listening. Your prayer life goes up, right? I sure hope they're listening because they really need this. Well, that's pharisaical. You're right in line with the Pharisees when you do that because it's using truth to impose on other people as opposed to Jesus came to liberate us from the law because we saw what the law exposed in ourselves. It exposed. It's like an x-ray machine. You go to the doctor, you go to the dentist. You know, every time I get my six-month checkup, you know, they say it's time to take your new x-rays of your teeth. And, um, and it, that's always an uncomfortable thing. They cram stuff in your mouth and, you know, they make you look funny. And, and then they take this thing and it runs around your face and you're not sure whether it's killing your brain or not, you know. Uh, because they put this, you know, this thing on, your, on this part of your body, this lead thing, but they don't put it on your brain at all, you know. And they shoot this stuff in, you know, and I'm thinking, I, I'm getting stupider every time I go to the dentist, you know. Um, but maybe it's just, <laughs> maybe it's just me. Uh, <laughs> so... But the x-ray machine, it, it, it can't do anything. It doesn't heal anything. It, it doesn't cure anything. It just exposes what is wrong. And that's what the law was. That's what that much of the first half of the Bible is, is helping us understand what would it look like to be absolutely perfect and pure. Uh, that, that's what it does. It, it just exposes the fact that you and I, we, we, we aren't Perfect, pure, even good in many ways. And the Pharisees had a hard time with that. Jesus came to help them understand that they needed to stop looking at other people and start looking at themselves. And as he shared this message, uh, he went about not only talking about it, but he did something about it. As we see, he spends... You know, the, uh, about two years, year and a half in, in this, this public ministry of communicating what it would look like to live in heaven. That's in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who understand their spiritual need. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who aren't afraid of being sad. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those people who long to learn, who long to understand, who have soft hearts and are willing to hear the truth. All of those things Jesus came to communicate to humanity, to help us understand what it would look like if we were to bring heaven to earth. 
Now, I, I think it's not a hard thing to get all of us to agree with is that we are not living in any way, form, or fashion a form of heaven on earth. Uh, we live in relative comfort right now. We came here today. Uh, we drove in vehicles. Uh, we'll go home. We'll eat at restaurants. We'll do all kinds of things without any fear of, of reprisal for anything going on in our life. And, and we live in a bubble. We, we live in a bubble. We have no clue what the rest of the world lives like. And yet we can even admit that we don't live in any form of heaven. In my neighborhood, people put up signs. And because they choose to put up different signs, they're now estranged from one another. Because they're focused on different issues that relate to different political things that are going on in our world right now. There's no sense of, of civility that can happen simply because when someone states their opinions, someone else states their opinions. There's no grounds for a conversation. It's fixed. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are willing to learn. Blessed are those who are soft-hearted. Blessed are those who are willing to engage in conversation. Blessed are those who are willing to be wrong. That's the kind of world that Jesus came to create. But he came into a world that's not unlike ours. It's messed up. It's really messed up. And it was so messed up that... The religious leaders of the day disliked Jesus' message so much that they decided that he had to be eradicated. And so they put him on a cross. They killed him. In these verses, in chapter 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and are falsely say all kinds of evil because of you, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus went to the cross. He had all kinds of insults hurled at him. He was made fun of while he was on the cross. If you're the son of God, perform some magic and jump down off that cross. You know, all, all kinds of, of, of really cruel and inhuman things to say to someone who was suffering public asphyxiation. Because that's what happens when you die on a cross. You basically suffocate to death because you, you can't support your breathing anymore and your lungs fill with blood. And it's a slow and painful death. And, and, and he was made fun of. And what was his response? His response was, They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. He had a, a, a kind of grace that doesn't exist in our world. A, a kind of opportunity to give to someone what they don't deserve. See, that's the beauty of what grace is all about. 
you know, Justin made a statement when he was up here about, you know, if we don't get grace, we don't get God. Because the, the idea of grace is all about the fact that we, we don't get what we deserve, but we get what we don't deserve. We, we don't get what we deserve, but we get what we don't deserve. You see, grace is, is about this idea of you and I being learners, being meek, being understanding, being truth seekers, being understanding of, of seeking after that which is right and coming to realize that God says something brutally honest to you and I that we don't add up, that, that we, we don't measure up. And, and you may be the goodest person in here. Sorry for English teachers. I well, abuse you. <laughs> You, 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 you might be the baddest person in here. See, goodest and baddest, they go together, so communicators get a little, uh, you know. So you may be the baddest person in here. It doesn't matter. You know, the, the, the continuum of, of moral equivalency doesn't really matter to God because clearly in the Bible, there is some fundamental truths. When you read the book of Romans, chapter 3, Paul says, look, no one's good. No one seeks after God. I mean, I mean that's, that's whatever bad, that's, that's Hitler and Mother Teresa, okay? And everything in between. And my guess is, is that you aren't south of Hitler or north of Mother Teresa. So you fit in between. All of us stand in need of having our relationship with God righted. And so, as we come, we, we, we discover that, that we're in need. And Jesus does something about that. When he dies on the cross, he dies in our place. He, he dies a, a sacrificial death so that we wouldn't have to. It's as if he's paying the penalty for what we should have paid for. He's giving us something we don't deserve. We, we don't deserve his love. We, we don't deserve his favor. But God, in, in his infinite goodness, decides to make it possible for you and I to change our relationship with the creator to a father. And as we change that relationship, we experience what it means to have grace. To get what we don't deserve. It's a father in heaven who wants a family. And he's willing to sacrifice his most precious relationship so you and I could have that family experience. So, what is it about grace that causes us to get confused? I, I think many of us are, are, are like the, the guy up here when his friend comes to show him um, an irrational offer of forgiveness and, and grace in his life. And what is his response? No, you can't do that. 
you can't play God in my life. It's like, you're going to have some kind of control over me. If, if, if I let you do this, you're going to hold this over my head, and, and I'm going to be forever in your debt. And I refuse to do that. You see, that's the attitude that, that many of us start with in relating to God. It's, it, we we kind of have this... Uh, this, uh, you know, I, I, I love this um, Ricky Bobby, you know, pardon me, I know my, my esteem went down in your life, but, but, but that moment when you know, he loves little baby Jesus, you know, kind of thing, that prayer scene that happens in that movie. And I was sitting in a restaurant, and I was looking at the condiments on the table, because they're now back, you know. Praise God, I don't have to ask for pepper anymore, you know. <laughs> It's, it's on the table again, you know. But, but so is Tabasco. And it's always there. I mean, it's like, every, it, it's ubiquitous. I mean, that, that means it's always there. <laughs> Spell that word for me really quick. No. You know, it, it's always there. It, it, it's ever present. But seldom engaged. Right? I know, I know there are a few of you are going to come up and you love Tabasco and you just you know, shower your stuff. But for most of us, you know, who have stomachs that are more tender than that, um, we don't use Tabasco or Cholula or anything else, you know? And, and, and for many of us, our relationship with Jesus is like that. It's like he's, he's ever present. I go to church. I'm, you know, I, I dabble in spiritual things. Maybe I listen to a spiritual radio station or, 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 or play some some music that has a spiritual theme in it or something like that. But, but the engagement issue, the idea of being a seeker of truth, of getting my fingerprints on the Bible, engaging Jesus is just not there. And so I'm standing just outside the realm of grace. I see it. I hear it. Sometimes I can feel it. It's fainting. But... It's not ever present in my life. It's because God offers the opportunity for us to come, but we're afraid that he wants control. We're afraid that we'll have to enter a realm where what he says matters most. We're afraid that we think more about our life and more we think about our happiness and our concerns more than he does. We're afraid that what he thinks might be different from what we think, and therefore we don't want to get into the, con the collision of his thinking and my thinking, and so we stand just far enough to see it, maybe even smell it, but not to experience it. Jesus says in John 1, 12, I, I, I quote that quite often, that, that to those who begin trusting him, those who begin to act as if what he says is true, to them he gives the right to be his children, to enter that realm of grace, to feel and experience what it's like to be a child of the Father, to be accepted no matter what, whether you're the goodest or the baddest, it doesn't matter. No matter what's in your life, no matter what's in your past, no matter what's in your future, no matter how bad you feel you are, or how good you feel you are. You feel the, the pleasure of your Father in heaven. He's fond. 
He's fond of you. At your worst moment, he's fond of you. You see, that's what it's like to to experience grace. It's it's like this sense of knowing that there is a rock-solid, steady anchor in my world. That I can always come to. In pain and agony because I've screwed up. Or in celebration for what's happened. Grace is a world that our Father in Heaven wants us to live in. Not to stand outside and look into. One of the problems of accessing grace is not really understanding some of those very principles that Jesus lays out in Matthew 5. You know, the idea of of, of what it's like to get what you don't deserve means that you can't earn it. You know, my our, our friend's up here. He, he wanted to earn himself back into favor with his friend. Could he do enough good things to offset the bad things that he's done? You think that's possible? There's not a snowball's chance in hell that's possible. All right? Think about this. He just didn't break a law. He broke his friend's heart. He ripped his friend's heart in two. And you and I have done the same thing to our Father in heaven. We have ripped his heart in two. But he didn't turn his head away. He offered his most significant relationship in all of eternity to repair his own heart. To bring us back into his family. That's what grace is all about. It's realizing that I can't earn it. I give up. I can't be good enough. There's nothing I can do. I can't add and I can't attend enough church, give enough money, serve enough places, be friendly enough, be kind, pick up enough trash, recycle whatever it is you think you're doing to earn God's favor. Now, all that stuff might be really good and really important. But they're on the other side of grace. They have nothing to do with our access to grace. Our access to grace is saying yes to our Father in heaven. You gave us a gift. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should trust in Him has the gift of eternal life, the gift of being a child of the Father. That, that's, what, that's what the inauguration is, is beginning to say yes to Jesus. And this morning, as, as we finish, we have an opportunity. For some of us, that happened a long time ago. We started saying yes to Jesus, you know, maybe in our childhood or, or, or early adulthood or at that point. And we have a chance to, to just re-inaugurate that and just once again publicly identify with the fact that I know why Jesus died. He died for me. I know that I can't earn God's favor. Jesus did it all for me, and I come today to take advantage of of this ritual that Jesus left for us called communion, the Lord's table. We, We have six stations around the auditorium on the floor and one in the balcony. And in a few minutes, the the band is going to come, and and they're going to play a song. 
It lasts about six minutes or so, so you've got plenty of time. But it's, it's a time and an opportunity for you and I to be able to, to think through this. For some of us, today is, the, like, the, today is like, okay, I've never really publicly said yes to Jesus, and I want to do that. And, and if that's you, I hope that you're thinking about the baptism class. I hope you're thinking about taking it one step further and having a space where you can be the center of attention and, and people can hear you say yes out loud, not just privately as you approach one of these tables. But it's an opportunity for some of us to just to recommit and to be thankful to our Father in heaven who's done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. He gave us grace. No other religious leader that's ever appeared has had that kind of counterintuitive message. You earn your way to Allah. You have to, to uh, extinguish every feeling and emotion and stuff to get to nirvana in, in Buddhism. There are 400 million gods in Hinduism that you have to please and you, you live your life trying to stay away from them. But Jesus comes along and says, look, I'm going to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. That's why we call it amazing grace. So as the band sings here after I pray, I, I want you to take a moment to think about where am I in my relationship with the Father? Is it just creature, creator? And do I need today to say, no, I, I want to be father, child. and I, I, I'm, I'm coming today to this table to acknowledge that I want you, Jesus, to be my brother. My, I want to be your joint heir. I want our Father to be our Father. So I can pray as you prayed, our Father who art in heaven. Others of us who are going to come and just celebrate the fact that, yay, God. I, I, I want to thank you today that you've done something for me that I could not do for myself. You offered up Jesus' body, which the, the bread here represents. And you shed his blood in my place, which the grape juice represents. It gives us an understanding that there's a new way of relating to our Father. That, that new way is through Jesus, who himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It was Jesus who claimed an exclusive path to our Father in heaven. And today, we come to celebrate that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that uh, you pursued us. Despite what it might have looked like from our side, we know that, that you, you drew us. For some of us, you dragged us into your family. And we acknowledge today that we are proud and most thankful to be your children. Father, I pray for my friends here today who uh, may be listening online, maybe sitting in the auditorium. I, I pray that in these next few minutes, we would all have clarity. Uh, we would understand the red dot. Where are we in this moment? Do we just have a creature-creator relationship with God? Or 
Have we stepped into the realm of grace? Have, have we begun to, to lean into the fact that what you say matters more than anything else? Not our feelings, not our emotions, not the way we've been shaped and molded and whatever we think about ourselves, Father, is not as important as what you think about us. And thank you. Thank you for building a bridge to that state of grace that we can walk in by allowing Jesus to die in our place. Father, we're grateful. And, and we want to just celebrate this morning the amazing grace that you have given us to take part in. We pray in Jesus' name.